Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, welcome back to the I Should Totally Be Dead Right Now podcast, where we tell true stories of survivors of true crime, natural disasters, and everything else in between. Hello, Michelle. Hello. How's it going? Good, good. I was thinking we should probably also put, like, military stories, because it seems like that's all I tell. Yeah, because you have another one today, you say. Spoiler alert, uh, I do have another military story. I mean... It's all World War II military stories. Why is... You found a passion. A lot of harrowing things happened during that time. Well, I'm sure there... Yeah. I can only so, imagine. Yeah. That was and kind of a crazy time for the world. I bet. Hmm. So, um... <laughs> What are we drinking today, Michelle? Good question. We are drinking strawberry mojitos. Ooh. Yeah. They ended up actually totally delicious. We muddled together strawberries, yes. fresh strawberries, mint that I gathered from my backyard. Good job. Limes. We You like quarter a lime and mm-hmm. throw it in the bottom of the glass. And then I made some mint-infused simple syrup. So I got super fancy, fancy i.e. right before I left the house. And, uh, and then, so you muddle all that together and then you add, um, a couple ounces of some, is it white rum or is it silver rum? I don't know. The clear rum. Mm -hmm. We use that. And then. I think it's white rum. Yeah. I think it is white rum. I Mm -hmm. think you're right. And then, um, we just topped it off with a little club soda. Oh my God. It's very refreshing. It is. The first batch was not so great. The second right. batch, we added a little extra simple syrup, yeah, and it all came together, yeah, beautifully. It, you need it a little sweeter with the more crispness. I don't know. It was delicious. well. It was just way easier to make it in a pitcher than individual yeah, glasses. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. No, it was very good. So you kind of made this on your own. Like you kind of got inspiration from a recipe, but you kind of changed it up a bit. A little bit. Yeah, I made the mint infused simple right. syrup. Actually, I saw another recipe that had that, and I was like, "That's a good idea. We're gonna do that." Mm. Um, um, so you and, just use your culinary experience? Because yeah. Michelle went to culinary school. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. A uh, solid 20 years ago. So thank you for that, <laughs> Caitlin. <laughs> I don't have to put a price, I mean, a, a year on it, Michelle. <laughs> no, that was actually a lot of fun. I did it because I had had enough of my academia, if mm-hmm. you will. I had been doing all these really hard classes, a lot of economics and calculus and blah 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 I was done with it all and yeah. I was like fuck it I'm gonna go do cooking school because it's right here on the same college uh-huh. and so I did that for a full year and that Thank was you. delightful yeah no, that's great that was awesome and then you I, get your master's in business, in business. <laughs> <laughs> no I did learn from cooking school that I never ever wanted to work in a restaurant oh okay I just don't maybe like a private chef Ooh, I did think about that for a little okay. while. I did a little catering on the side back when yeah. I first got out of there. And wedding cakes. And wedding cakes. Lots of wedding cakes. Yeah. A few wedding catering things. I'm sure to tuck you up, girl. You're the best. Thank you. Caitlin. Oh. God damn it. <laughs> All right. All right. You ready? I am ready for your story, Caitlin. Set the scene, if you would. Yes. This story is about Katrin Pugh. Okay. Katrin? Okay. Yes. Not Catherine. No, it's C-A-T-R-I-N. Okay. It is 2013. Okay. And she is 19 years old. All right, all right. And she's working in France's ski resort. 
So she's working up in the mountains for um, a gap year that she had. So she really liked going to school and stuff like that, but she didn't know what she wanted to do. So she kind of oh, took a year took off. she took a year mm-hmm. off to kind of figure things out. Yeah. Sort of. Exactly. Live her life, see what life brought her. Yeah. Et cetera. Uh, she was working at the resort for five months. Oh my months. God, you end up choking on a lot of mint in this drink. <laughs> There's a lot of mint, yeah. You okay there? Yes, I'm okay. Okay. Barely. I apologize. Say That's what you okay. said again. She was working at this resort for the last five months. Okay. So it's like ski season. Okay. okay. So this is winter time, probably. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it is, the ski season is over. So all of the ski staff is now coming down the mountain. So there's a coach, which is also a bus, but they okay. call it a coach. Okay. Uh, taking all the 52 passengers back down. Okay, so the they've essentially been living at the top of the mountain yes. at this ski resort. Correct. Okay, so now ski season's done mm-hmm. and they're heading down. Yep, she was heading back to North Wales to her parents' house. The driver, Maurice, who is 63 years old, um, was taking everyone down the 21 hairpin bends. <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> that sounds terrible it already. It does sound terrifying. I remember when I was learning to drive, Uh um, there was this mountain that we would always, it was kind of close to our house, Mm -hmm. and so we'd drive on it, and it was, of course, a really curvy road, and I just couldn't comprehend how the fucking car fit on the road. (laughs) It's just like, how is this car not careening off the side all the time? Well, you drove in Ireland. Oh my god, that was the goddamn worst. Those roads are so narrow. Yeah. And everyone barrels down on like it's nothing. And then there's me who's terrified. Yeah. And like trying to scooch over to the side, but it's a brick wall. Stone wall, I should say, not a brick wall. Uh. Anyways. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> so they're going down the mountain and she actually falls asleep thinking about her mom's tarragon cream chicken. I don't know what that is, but it sounds good. It's an herb. Oh, is it? Oh, okay, okay. All of a sudden, she wakes up to screams. Maurice, the driver, is shouting that the brakes are not working. (gasps) This is my worst nightmare coach. (laughs) God. And the coach is now gaining speed. Of course it fucking is, because they're going down all these hairpins. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. So she is sitting behind him. So she's in the front right behind the driver, Maurice. Oh, gosh. She could see the sharp cliff edge that was coming at the... <laughs> Sorry. God, this is nauseating already. She said that she had flashbacks of her family Christmases skiing and felt awful that she hadn't called any of her family or parents uh, very much and she wanted to say goodbye. Oh. But, God. oh, she said goodbye to everyone and that she loved them in her mind. Oh, all yes. right. But... At the last moment, Maurice managed to turn the wheel and veered away from the cliff edge, but instead crashed into the mountain wall. Oh, so it's like, Arr! yeah, Arr! that's exactly how it sounded. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Okay. It then, Caitlin, I don't understand why you leave the podcast with me. <laughs> you make good drinks. <laughs> uh, once the coach hit the wall, it exploded into flames. Everyone, except for Catherine and Maurice, were able to get off the coach. What? Why couldn't they get off? Well, Maurice unfortunately died from impact. Oh, Maurice. And 
and one of Catroon's friends ran back onto the flaming bus to retrieve her. Once they got inside, they saw her laying on the ground on fire. <gasps> oh my goodness. Yeah. So once her friend dragged her out of the coach, all her friends started to try to stomp off the flames on her. Okay, so she couldn't get off the bus because she was fully on fire. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. My God. She states that she remembers looking at their faces and she could tell the extent of her injuries just by their face expressions. Just about the pure horror that was... Oh yeah. My gosh, poor thing. She was unable to sit up or move, but she did look over and see her arm and it was multicolored. It was black, brown, and red. Oh, I thought you were gonna tell me it was like five feet away, but <laughs> no, that's no, bad that's enough. <laughs> she states, I remember being on fire. It's a feeling that's very difficult to describe. You just feel very numb everywhere, and I have since learned that's because it had burned through my nerve endings. Oh, burns man so she said that she was in extreme pain yet numb at the same time oh how strange yeah right oh my goodness kind of going in and out of that um since they were up in the mountains she laid there for two hours before paramedics came oh my god you know her friends were like <gasps> yeah don't we know don't know what to do maybe put some ice on or some snow on her or unless it's getting to be summery and there's no snow i don't know so katrin had third degree burns on 96 percent of her body oh my gosh the only thing that was not touched was her scalp and the soles of her feet (gasps) so she was in fact fully on fire Mm -hmm. oh my gosh and for some of you who don't know what third degree burn is it is damage has progressed to the point of skin death yeah, I was going to say, it's like nerve. It kills, yeah, all, the it nerves, kills all the nerves, right? right, yeah. Oh, um, gosh. So she did not want to close her eyes because she thought if she ever closed her eyes, she would never wake back up. Oh. So the paramedics wanted to put her, you know, give her, you know, something for the pain, but she just didn't want to fall asleep. Oh, poor thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. But she was airlifted, and they did put her in an induced coma. Oh, probably to well it's probably for the best i mean i can't even imagine the doctors told katrin's family that she had a 0.1 percent chance of survival oh my gosh so that is one in a thousand chance yeah it feels like almost nothing yeah is what it feels like she was in a coma for three months yikes after three months she actually woke up and survived from the coma oh my goodness once she did wake up, she couldn't move, but she was covered in skin grafts and had several fingers amputated. Oh. She had damage to her optic nerve, so she had no, like, central vision. Oh. So she can only, like, see like close out of her periphery? Within... No, she could see close up to one feet. Like, it had to be close. Okay. And it's just because she was so weak, oh, um, and plus all the damage to her. Her mom and brother actually donated skin from their legs to help with her recovery. She underwent more than 200 operations in this time. That's so many. She was able to leave the hospital after eight months in a wheelchair and unable to walk. Oh my gosh. So Cameron was actually 70 pounds or five stone and she looked like a complete skeleton. 70 pounds. That's, that's really nothing thin. That for is an nothing. adult. That's nothing. For a 19 year old? Isn't yeah. Isn't that crazy? Cameron broke down and cried for the next two months. 
She took a bath and she states that she looked like a quilt. Staples, stitches, and swelling all over her body. Oh my gosh. It really took eight months to have everything sink in for her. She developed depression and PTSD and for a year refused counseling. She didn't even do physiotherapy, thinking she would never walk again anyways. Oh, poor thing. So, so she's, she's sort just, of given up yep, hope at this she, point. Yeah. She's fully fallen into this uh, mm-hmm. into despair. Yeah, she really has. Her parents did not know how to help her. She was always the optimistic in the family. Oh. So things started to change, though, when she was visited by another survivor of burns, and they had 80% of their body burned a decade prior and was able to walk again. Aww. So good. Katrin states that it was the kick I needed. It changed my mindset. I went back to being a positive person, determined to get better. She mm. needs some time. Yeah, I mean... You gotta just sort of spend a little bit of that time yeah. wallowing in the despair. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, yeah, you do have time. Like it's a morning. Like yeah, it's that's not exactly a... correct. I mean, it's a real emotion that needs to be felt and yeah. dealt with. I mean, as much as it sucks and as much of it makes you want to kill yourself, right? But Gosh. <laughs> eventually, hopefully, you come out of it. Yes. So sorry, that was a little morbid. That was a little, a little morbid. Yeah. But we're here for it. <laughs> Katrin didn't though. That's right. So over two years, Katrin went from a wheelchair to walking again. Hmm. She even got back to skiing down the French slopes that she loved as a child. Oh, good. Yes. At the age of 24, Katrin began getting her physiotherapy degree at King's College London. All right. So she's getting back at it now. Mm -hmm. Well, she figured out with her gap year what she was going to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, things started really happening for her. And because she had such a positive outset, she kind of put herself out there. And she became an ambassador for the charity of Changing Faces, Katie Piper Foundation, and the British Association of Skin Camouflage. Okay. So she inspires others to live with visible differences. Mm. She states, I want to work with burn survivors so they don't have to wait for that one person to give them a positive mindset. So she also travels around the country as a motivational speaker as well. Oh, good. Uh, Katrin received a seven-figure settlement from the coach firm. So the people who own the bus. um, Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, so she did get some money for that. Hopefully paying for her medical bills. No shit, man. They could not have been small. No. Um, Unless she has incredible insurance and she's all set. (laughs) Well, it might be free over there. (laughs) That's actually true, yeah. (laughs) Us Americans are like, wow, it must cost a lot of money. She must be bankrupt now. Yeah. (laughs) No. Anyways, so in 2019, she became the face of Avon's new Perfect Nudes beauty range. So she was kind of, yeah, so she got to be in their campaign. You might have. I mean, they're, um, like I said, you can find her on the the charities that she, you know, is an ambassador for. And she's very inspiring and she's so beautiful. She Hmm. really is. I really should show you a picture. Yeah, let's see a picture. So that's her. Oh, wow. Oh, look at her. Is that her up there? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. This is her. So that's her uh, Avon Beauty campaign. Oh, wow. She really does. Look at that. Yep. There is a a picture of her full body that you can see. And it's... She's still so beautiful, I think. Like, Well, it's her smile. Look at it. It just, like, lights up everything. It's true. 
She says since her scalp didn't burn, she was able to, you know, to grow back all her hair again. It's nice and healthy and stuff like that. So, Katrin was the oldest person to survive this amount of burns. Oh, really? And she's 19. She was 19. So, most people die when they have, oh my goodness. 96%. So, she was the oldest person. That's 19. That's crazy. It is crazy. I can't even imagine. So no. what was it? It was the bottom of her feet and the top of her scalp was yeah. the only part that wasn't burned. Yep. That's crazy. So yeah, so she is is doing good. It took her some time, but she she got through it, which is, I think, with a lot of these stories of survivors, you know, they it do get that time. mourning period, which oh, yeah. they should because, you know, things are different. A traumatic thing happened to you, but it's like most of our survivors come out at the end stronger. Yeah. Agreed. I can't even imagine, like, the amount of pain. No. That I would be happy to be in a coma, I think, oh, with that I think amount so. of burns. Yeah, you would gosh. have to. There's just no way. Even though I would miss, like, seeing everyone. You're asleep. I mean, so you're going to wake up. Like, what's going to happen three months? COVID? COVID-19. Went- <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maybe it's over. Oh, what is that song about sleeping through September? Is it Green Day? Wake me up when September ends. <laughs> yeah, yes. Actually, have found that I've been maybe sleeping a little bit more in my first half. So of quarantine, uh-huh. I was like up at six thirty yeah. and doing all this. Yeah, because the last podcast you said you guys are waking up early, yeah, getting things done. And now I'm like, mm, I'm probably just gonna stay in bed for a little bit longer. <laughs> Throw a dog in here. We'll yeah. snuggle and yeah. Yeah, since I'm not at work anymore, I know. there's no what's like, the motivation? point of even getting up in the morning. Sad. It's true but though. It is true. My God, I didn't get up till well. I got up at eight thirty, but That's still. Yeah, it wasn't great though. <laughs> All right, Michelle, let's hear your story about World War One or Two or whatever. Two. Okay. Caitlin, World War Two. All right. I'll tell a story about World War One next time. Okay. Probably not, but maybe. So yes, this story actually it starts back in nineteen forty one. Okay. Well, this story is about George H.W. Bush. The original George Bush. Wow. George Bush president numero uno. That's what I'm talking about. Senior. Thank you, Caitlin. (laughs) That's probably a better way to put it. (laughs) You can fuck yourself. Number one. (laughs) I didn't even say number one, numero uno. (laughs) Okay. So, uh... George Bush was a high school senior on December 7th, 1941, and he was walking on his campus when he heard the news that the base in Hawaii had been bombed. (gasps) So, of course, he heard the news of Pearl Harbor. Yes. And he wanted to serve immediately. He was ready to rock and roll and join the military. In fact, what he said was, after Pearl Harbor, it was a different world altogether. It was a red, white, and blue thing. Your country's attacked. You'd better get in there and try to help. That's what happened with uh, September 11th. A lot of people enlisted. Yeah, it's like, fuck those guys who did this to us. I'm going to go out and get them. Yeah. So, no, I get it. I could see a surge in patriotism and, you know, just wanting to do your part and be a part of it. So that's exactly what, how he felt. In fact, and he was 17 at the time, so he could not enlist in the military. Oh. So his plan was, briefly, to go to Canada and oh. join their military, the Royal Air Force in Canada. It was what, But he decided he could wait. So okay. he went home. 
he uh, joined the Navy and then had one more sort of Christmas at home. And on this trip home from, you know, on his high school break, he went to a Christmas dance and there he laid eyes on a cute little 16-year-old oh. toddy oh. named Barbara. Oh, Barbara. So, of course, it ended up being his wife. Right. Later, as we all know, Barbara Bush. So, on June 22nd, 1942, Bush 18, okay. he graduated from high school and he headed off to Boston to be sworn into the Navy. So, he did wait. He did wait. Okay. Yeah. He uh, ended up joining the Navy because of their grandeur of power i think oh. is what it said okay. and its reputation for uh camaraderie and a sense of purpose okay so that's why he joined the navy also he wanted to fly he wanted to be a pilot oh okay so cool. he uh so nearly one year later after joining the navy he became an officer of the u.s naval reserve he earned his wings as a naval aviator. So Bush was likely, I think they didn't have like, I don't know. It just said he was likely the youngest. They didn't say he was actually the youngest okay. uh, flying officer. Wow. Because um, as I said, he was not yet 19. Right. So at 18 years old. He was assigned to fly torpedo bombers off an aircraft carrier in the Pacific Theater. So Theater? What's that? The theater, that's just like where people fight. So the Pacific Theater is the specific area where the war was happening. Oh. And I can't remember. There was lots of different theaters, but it's essentially the general area. So they were in the Pacific fighting the Japanese, whereas other people were in Germany. And I don't know what that theater was called, but it's called a theater. So it's all the different theaters, if you will. Yeah. So. Hopefully that's correct, and I didn't just lie to everybody. Wait, um. that's my understanding of what a theater is. Okay, so I... it's essentially the area of war. Okay, so he was in the Pacific Theater, so he was fighting the Japanese. Mm-hmm. So at dawn of September second, nineteen forty-four, uh, Bush was set to fly a strike over Chichijima, uh, a Japanese island about five hundred miles away from the mainland. And this island was known to be a stronghold for supplies and communication for the Japanese. So they wanted to go in there and take out a radio tower that was on the island. So that was, of course, helping in all their communications all over. And this was a heavily guarded island. Mm -hmm. So anyone who flies over it or anything is just immediately going to be shot down. Wow. That's That's what they do. Yeah. So around 7.15 in the morning, Bush took off with clear skies and two other guys. Okay. William G. White, or Ted, and John Delaney, or Dell. So George, Ted, and Dell take off in their plane. And they were among three planes that all took off that were part of this airstrike. Okay. His uh, plane actually has a sort of a side that has not a lot of relevance, but I just thought was kind of a cool thing is the biggest type of plane that can actually take off from an aircraft carrier. Oh, really? Because so, okay. it needs, like, the most amount of runway. <laughs> so it's just the biggest. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So anyway, about an hour of flying, uh, their plane was hit by oh. gunfire or some kind Ooh. of fire. The cockpit started to fill with smoke, and their the wings were engulfed in flames. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No. <laughs> so Bush radios back to Ted and Dell, and it was like... You better get your parachutes on because... Oh, my gosh. You know, yeah, most likely we're going to be going down. And so 
he kept flying though and Whoa. still hit the radio tower so he's still <gasps> bombing he's flying with he's like whatever yeah he's like i'm still going for it i'm okay. still gonna make this shit happen and so he bombed the radio tower and then he started to fly back out to sea and so he moved, I guess he kind of was flying at a pitch, like his nose was up a little bit mm-hmm. to make it easier for Ted and Dell to parachute out. Oh, wow. And then he, after they got out, uh, he kept flying until they were safely away. And he ended up going out the hatch in the cockpit oh. to try to get out. Wow. Okay. And so he got partway out, and the wind was so strong that it ended up lifting him up and out of there, and then pushed him back towards the tail of the plane, where he hit his head on the tail. So oh, essentially, no. he just put a big gash in his head and like hit his eye. Oh, no. And so he's feeling dazed, mm-hmm. um, but fortunately, he managed to have the wherewithal to still pull a chute, and okay. so. And then the, the plane crashed into the ocean. So luckily he didn't get just knocked out and yeah. just fall from the sky. No, he was just like, oh, that hurt, yeah. and then pulled a chute. Okay, <laughs> lucky. And as he was sort of floating down, he watched his plane crash and then sink under the water. Whoa. And so he landed in the water and uh, immediately went all the way to the bottom. And so he had to fight his parachute, his all of his clothes, his boots and everything uh, to try to get to the top. So he ended up getting rid of his boots to try to loose, lighten the load Interesting. and made it to the top. Okay. And so he's just floating around, treading water. And then about 50 feet away, he saw a unemployed, I guess. Unemployed? <laughs> unemployed raft or undeployed. Oh, okay. I don't know what, anyway. Sure. He found a raft. He was able to deploy it, okay. make it inflate, flip himself in. And That's then lucky. he was just hanging out at that point. And he realized that Dell and Ted were nowhere around. And so. Like, he th- thought they were dead or yeah. they were just. <gasps> yeah, they were dead. What? So, spoiler Why? alert. Why? Uh, well, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I'm confused, but all right. So, we'll. So he just was floating. So he managed to get into the life raft. Okay. But unfortunately, with the wind and everything, it was pushing him back towards Chichijima. Sorry. That sounds right. So he started pushing him back towards this Japanese island. (laughs) Okay. So he had to paddle, like, with everything he had to try to get away from it. And then after a while, he was alone. He was vomiting over the side. Oh. Mainly due to his head injury. Oh, okay. And he was slowly beginning to grasp that Dell and Ted were nowhere around and that most likely they were dead. So uh-huh. he was crying and Aww. mourning them. He was thinking of Barbara or oh Bar, as he called her. Bar? Yeah, Bar. Okay. Um, just imagining himself with her and being back at home and just really not wanting to be where he was. So he few hours, I think it was quite a few hours later, um, he started seeing planes sort of zooming him, is what they called it. Huh. So it was U.S. planes oh. scouting for survivors. Oh, okay. Well, okay. And then, uh, out of nowhere, it was very startling, a submarine just <gasps> came up right underneath him. Oh, my gosh. And he was saved. Aww. So that was his rescuers. 
they came out and they said, welcome aboard, sir. And he's like, happy to be aboard. (laughs) I bet. Being out on sea, injured, alone, scary, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, in Japanese territory. Oh, F that, man. So he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for Heroism Under Fire. Oh, wow. Of the nine airmen that took to the skies that day, he was the only survivor. So really, he later heard of the horrific war crimes against the American captives, um, including cannibalism. Oh so my gosh! His eight comrades were tortured and beheaded or stabbed <gasps> to death, and then the body parts of four American pilots uh-huh. were found later were cooked and eaten by Japanese. Oh officers. my gosh! What? Yeah, that's fucking crazy. It is. So, Why? I don't know. I was actually thinking about that. If, it's like a pride thing? Yeah. Was it a cultural thing or was it we're starving? And oh. Because actually my understanding of how MSG came to be uh-huh. was there was no good meat to serve the Japanese soldiers. You know, they were run, running low on supplies. Uh-huh. And so to make spoiled meat palatable, uh-huh. they created MSG. And so they oh. just cover it with MSG, and it made it a little easier to eat all this rancid meat. And so really? that's my understanding of how MSG came to be. Gross. <laughs> all right. So, so I don't know if they were just, like, ingesting the souls of their enemies yeah. or they were just starving to death. Right. So I'm not sure which okay. is which. All right. Um, okay. But he made it home, and George and Barbara got married soon afterwards. Aww. And they ended up staying married for 73 years, and up until her death at 92. That's a long time. Uh, it's the longest presidential marriage in history. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So. That's cool. So, his two friends, they were captured after they got to, yep. like, the, oh. Hmm. Yeah, and were tortured and, and or tortured and possibly eaten. Yes. Wow. He's lucky. He's the only survivor of that. Yeah. Wow. I know. It's like, oh, could you even imagine? I could not imagine. I could not be in war. I could not be burned. I could not be stabbed. Really, I, I don't want anything shot. bad happen yeah. to me ever. I could not so be far, alive. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> Ugh. These drinks were delicious. They were though. really good. Oh my god. Um, mm. on a summer day, just sitting Gosh, outside. Yeah perfect it is perfect so if you want to see the recipe of what michelle made it's on our instagram and facebook at i should totally be dead right now and you can email us for i don't know whatever you fucking want i guess (laughs) we'll read it yeah we'll respond maybe there yeah unless it's mean and then you can fuck yourself yeah if it's nice yeah we'll totally do that but that's a i should totally be dead right now at gmail.com and uh, mm-hmm. we're just kind of hoping you guys are staying home, staying healthy and safe. And uh, we hope, we you know, this gets over soon. But yeah, so please, um, we hope you enjoy this podcast. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time. I will say I've got a little bit more respect for George Bush after reading this. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, was like, I didn't Damn. know. I had no idea either. I had no, yeah. I think I knew that he served in the military, but that's about it. Yeah. So. Cool. Good All right. All right, so we'll see you next time. All right. Woo-hoo. Bye. Bye.